0: We've been in a series in Galatians, but today the Lord, as he often does, changed my message and told me to preach this. And uh, I should have been obedient to him the first time because he told me last night, but i like to do things my way and now I'm gonna pay the price. So if, you know, you just try to get what you can from this message, it's gonna be all over the place. But I believe that your situation may not change, but you're about to get a new revelation And that new revelation is about to give you strength for the journey that you're on. Many of you have been in hard seasons. You've been in seasons where you've looked up to heaven and you said, God, when is enough enough? And I don't know if God's gonna hold out. I don't know if he's gonna pull back, but this one thing I do know, that I'd rather be in hell with him than in heaven without him. Yes. John chapter six. God, I thank you for this word. I pray that you would bless it, anoint me to preach, anoint your people to receive. And may Jesus be glorified, your people edified, and Satan terrified in Jesus' name. Verse 53, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you can physically stand, that'd be great. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors, they ate manna and died. Cool story. But whoever feeds on this bread will live eternally. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in his second home, Capernaum. Uh, verse 60. Are you still with me? Yes. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples, were gr- Let me read that one more time because that's important. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to, the, to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken for you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him Judas. he went on to say this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father enables them from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him our last verse our last two verses You don't want to leave too? Jesus asked the 12, and Simon Peter said something that I say almost every week. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You can be seated. I want to spend the next 40-ish minutes answering a question still friends. Still friends? Still friends. Uh, Maya's not here today, but if you've seen Maya, you've seen her beautiful kids, and one of them, his name's Triumph. We call him Tri Tri, because that's what you do in the hood. And Tri Tri is three years old, and Tri Tri loves to have fun. He does not like to be bored, he doesn't want to sit still. And one day I decided to torture myself and babysit Tri Tri for an entire day. I was feeling gracious. Have you ever made a decision? And then when it was time to come through on the decision, you were like, what was I thinking? like I don't have the capacity to watch this kid for eight hours picked up try try from his house and we went to the California Academy of Arts and Sciences and his mom told me he said she said be careful because try try doesn't like to go to the bathroom if he's having fun but you need to make him go to the bathroom every three or four hours or else he'll use the bathroom on himself and so I said okay that's I know some adults like that so I'll help him And we're walking and we're going through and we're watching the albino alligator. We're going through the dinosaur exhibit four times. We're going through the, uh, and if you know me, I don't like animals or bugs or stuff. And we're going through the rainforest and there are butterflies touching me and bugs and lizards everywhere. And I'm just, for the kingdom, for the kingdom, for the kingdom. And then it hits me after about three or four hours, Tri-Tri has not gone to the bathroom. So I pull him to the side and have a very deep and sincere conversation. Do you need to pee? And Tri-Tri goes, "Uh uh-uh. I said, Tri-Tri, we've been together for a few hours and you haven't gone to the bathroom. We need to go to the bathroom. I don't want to go to the bathroom. Now, if you know about black people, (laughs) you're not allowed to talk to me like that. So fix your attitude. He said, well, I just don't want to. I said, softer tone, I like that. I said, but we got to go to the bathroom. So I took Tri-Tri to the bathroom and we stood there for a minute and Tri-Tri cried as if I was beating him. So I took him out of the bathroom so that no one would think that I was beating him. And me and Tri-Tri, we sat there for 30 minutes because I told him at the beginning, I am more stubborn than you, ask my staff. And we're sitting there and for 30 minutes, I'm on my phone and I, it, it kinda, I started chuckling because I typically had judged parents if they were out in public with their kids and they were on their phone. And I was like, I get it now. <laughs> it's like, because nothing's happening over here. He's just crying and wailing his heart, eyes out. And every now and then he goes, I wanna see T-Rex. I want you to use the bathroom. No like, okay, well, we're gonna sit here until it's time to go to the bathroom. Finally, I take him to the bathroom, and I don't know how I did it, but by prayer and supplication, I convinced him to use the bathroom. He used the bathroom, and you would have thought afterwards, by the way he celebrated himself, that he desired to go to the bathroom. He was like, yay! I was like, yay what? That was a 30-minute tribulation so that you could relieve yourself. And here I am, and he just changed his whole attitude and he was happy. And when we went outside after he washed his hands, we sat down and said, try, try, we're gonna have fun for the rest of the day, but there's something I need to know. Are we still friends? I asked him that jokingly uh, because uh, oftentimes it's with adults that hold grudges. Kids can forgive easily. But I wanted to check in with him. I said, is this gonna be a day where you're gonna be mad at me all day? We're gonna have to worry about that? And you would have thought that the 30 minutes that we just had never happened. He looked at me and he said, still friends. With tears welling in my eyes, I could hear the Lord asking many of us in the hardest situations of our life, having to go through what we have to go through, going through something God can't deliver us from, and God is asking many of you today, still friends? If I take your boyfriend and your girlfriend, if if, if the business doesn't go well, still friends? If the thing that you thought was God, Abraham, if you thought Isaac was it, and I ask you to lay it down, will we still be friends? Because for many of us, our relationship with God is predicated on the gifts that he gives us. Quite often, we will go through trials and tribulations, as it says in Psalms, the 98th chapter, David said, it is good that I am afflicted, that I might know the decrees of the Lord. What was he saying? It's good that I went through what I went through, because I found out who he is. It was in my sickness I found him to be a healer. It was in my bondage I found him to be a deliverer it was in my my weakness that I found him to be my strength and before I went through what I went through it was just information but after surviving hell it's become revelation Amen. I'm gonna preach until you get assemblies of God in here <laughs> still friends if the church doesn't work out like you thought it would are we still gonna be friends If you're poor for a little longer than you thought you would by this age, can we still be friends? See, I ask you that because in John chapter 6, we get to a point where everyone is offended with Jesus because he has said some hard stuff. But let's go back to the earlier parts of John chapter 6. In the second verse, the Bible says that Jesus began to do these miracles and that many followed him because of the signs that he was performing. Many of us follow him because of what's in his hand. Now that's not a horrible thing and I'm not going to beat you up for wanting the gifts and the grace of God because Psalms 103 says bless the Lord O my soul and forget not all of his benefits and it's important to recognize that God has gifts, he has blessings but what if he doesn't give them to you? It's so quiet in this Catholic church. What if he doesn't come through on your time the way you think that he should come through? Still, friends... See, by the time we get to the portion of scripture that we're reading and Jesus is is, is with his disciples and he's with a crowd of people, he has just spent an entire chapter teaching them that he is the bread of life. He starts off by reminding them that your forefathers had manna and God provided manna, but they still died. Cool story. (laughs) But Jesus says that manna That bread still causes them to die, but I am the bread of life, and you consume me and you'll have eternal life. And here's the question I wanna ask you. Are you full off of the bread of this world that you have no space for the bread of life? Have Have you sat at the buffet of the world's table, and now that God invites you to a more simplistic life, to a life that's surrendered to him, have you gotten full off of the things of this world? Because here's the thing. The things of this world can only provide happiness, and it's temporal. Here's the, thing about te- here's the thing about happiness, the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is situational, and it's okay to be happy, but the problem with happiness is that the goalpost for happiness is always moving. So when I get the job, I'll be happy. You get the job, now you hate the coworkers, you're no longer happy. You need a new goal to become happy. You get the girlfriend or the relationship, whatever it is. And all of a sudden you're happy because you've reached it. But now you've been married for five, 10 years and that happiness, that goalpost has moved. Joy is not situational. Because joy for the believer is not rooted in what's going on around us. It's rooted in the consistency of God's faithfulness. That in spite of the change of my situation, he's stable. Jesus says to them, your family or your forefathers ate manna and it didn't last them. They ended up dying even still. It's important to watch what you eat. I know that's ironic coming from me. Somebody said, man, Pastor Dob, watch what I eat all the time. (laughs) I Watch the hamburger go in my mouth, I watch the burrito. But it's important to watch what you eat, especially when you start going through tough situations. Anybody ever get a little depressed and start eating a little bit more ice cream than you intended on eating? I've got two witnesses that won't lie. I said, has anybody ever started eating in the midst of a bad situation, right? What happens? All of your rules, you could be the, I was a vegan for, like I'm off and on a vegan, it depends on the month, Uh, but I was a vegan, and people think, like how can vegans be fat? This is how vegans can be fat, because sadness exists, and Oreos do too. (laughs) Come on, talk to me, I need a witness. And Oreos are vegan by the grace of God. And I don't believe in the serving size. That's demonic, I believe in the word of the Lord. He said, open up your mouth and I'll fill it with good things. And for those of you who have the discipline to only eat three Oreos, God bless you. I'll eat three sleeves of those suckers in Jesus' name. But what happens all of a sudden when you start going through hard times You start consuming physically things that might not even be good for you and the same thing happens spiritually You start going through tough tough times and instead of intaking sermons and the word and messages and, and different inspirations You start getting on netflix and hulu And listen netflix and hulu is not a sin. It's just not eternal life So no wonder you're dying in the situation that you're going through You may not know this, but you can have joy in the midst of pain. You can have peace in the midst of calamity. It, It is possible, but here's the problem many of us have made a covenant. We've made a covenant to not have faith to not hope again, because it hurts to hope again. It hurts to go after God when, when tough times are arising. It's easy to preach and to read the word when the money is coming in and the bills are paid and the kids are acting right, but it's real hard to stay faithful to the practice of Christian disciplines when life is starving you. What do you eat when you're hungry? When your soul is thirsty, where do you run to? Who do you call on? What's your behavior, what's your response to trial because we're about to see in a minute because Jesus sets up a hard situation there are people who once followed him who choose no longer to follow him he says to them I am the bread of life and then he says if you eat of me I will abide in you and you will abide in me I get it now because Jesus said the same thing about him and the father, you remember? He said, the father is in me and I am in the father. Then he says, if you eat of me, if you eat my, my, my flesh and drink my blood, I will be in you. I'll abide in you. And why is that so important? Because you cannot do your faith without him abiding. Many of you, the reason you're going through the what you're going through, the way that you're going through, is because you've lost your abide. You let COVID snatch your abide. When was the last time you had a God moment outside of Sunday service? When's the last time you pressed in for a deeper encounter with the Lord outside of an organized meeting? Have you gotten full off of the temporal things of this world that you have no space in you for eternal life? Jesus is preaching about his uh, flesh being like heavenly bread. He says to them, I came down from heaven. Here's why that's important. You, you would see if you go back to chapter six, that people start asking, who is, who is this man? That he dares to say that he's from heaven. And Elisha say something that's really important. He says, isn't that Joseph's son? Here's the importance of that. Do you remember the inception of Christ? It had nothing to do with Joseph. His whole part was just to say yes, which is typically guys part in conception anyway, just, Say yes, that's if we get the easy part. Moving on. Um, <laughs> Jesus is born to a virgin woman and nobody believes it. I know we assume that everybody believes that Jesus was born of a virgin, but you gotta re- be reminded of the time and error. If, if Sarah or somebody came up and said, you know, me and Pastor Andrew, we've been, we've been trying to have kids, but we, I'm finally pregnant, but he's not the father. We'd be like, mm. Yeah, that's what I would be like too. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, hey, hey. But then she stops you and goes, hold up. The father, come on, Maury Povich, is God. Be like, see, they told me this church was a cult. I knew it was a cult. I'm going to the other church, right? Like, that's, you've got to imagine, that's even more so in the culture that they're in in that day because it was shameful for a woman to be pregnant outside of wedlock, but she gets pregnant and for 30 some years, for a bunch of years, people going around wondering, is, that didn't really come from a virgin woman. So we get to this point and he says that I am from heaven and everybody reminds him who his dad is except for they picked the wrong one. Isn't that Joseph's son? Because they did not wanna honor where he had come from. They didn't wanna honor that he was God. And I wonder how many of us have gotten so comfortable with God that we really don't know who he is anymore. See, that's why trials come. They come to shake up your revelation of God. They come to teach you that he's a healer in the midst of sickness. They they come to teach you that he is your safe space in the midst of pain. See, the problem is they couldn't see Jesus for who Jesus really was. So when Jesus gives them some hard instructions, they don't trust his words because they don't know his character. Did you hear what I said? They're unable to trust his words because they don't know who he is they don't know his character And the reason we go through things that we go through is so that we can learn the character of God so we can learn See because this ain't the first time you've gone through something Don't don't look at me in that tone of voice. This is not the first time you've been broke This is not the first time you've been sick. And my question is what did he do last time? Didn't he come through the last time? But if we keep escaping the trials, trying to get out of the situations that we're going through, we'll never get to know who he is. And it's all about getting to know him. This whole life, it's about being known and getting to, getting to know God. But they don't know who he really is. They think that he's just some carnal Joseph's boy, just a carpenter's son. So no wonder when Jesus comes and says, it's time to get cannibalistic, they get a little confused. Now, mind you, Jesus has already explained to them the allegory or the metaphor that he's not talking about his literal flesh. But they're so jacked up in the head that they can't hear what God is saying. If you go back and read through the chapter six, Jesus is telling them, he's setting them up spiritually to say spiritually, if you eat my flesh, if you drink my blood, then you'll have eternal life. He tells them, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And there's an interesting phrase, Vanessa, that's written after that. It says, and many disciples, left him from that day lean in real quick can I ask you a question when it comes to following God what's your why no come here let me ask you a question when it comes to following God it's very simple why why am I asking that because trials will always come to expose your why Mm mm-hmm it's easy to speak in tongues when the glory's in here. It's hard to speak in tongues when rent is due and you've got more change than you've got dollar bills because your money don't jiggle, jiggle. That was for Christina. <laughs> Come on, it's, it, it's hard in those moments. You have to decide your why now. Because you're all serving for a reason. For some of us, we're serving God because our parents served God and this is just what we do. Some of us, we serve in God because we got saved a long time ago and we've forgotten our why. When we first got saved, we had a strong why, we had a strong yes, but now we've been saved for a while and it's just routine for us. We we just come to church, we just kind of pray every day, spend my little 15 minutes in devotion and all that different stuff, and that's just what we do. But can can I ask you something? What if God wants to purify your why? Yeah, what if, what if, this is gonna be hard to take. What if you're not perfect? (laughs) <laughs> what, what if you have not reached Christ's likeness yet? Could, could it be that God is using this to even chisel your why? Well, I'm in ministry, obviously. And it's easy to forget your why, especially when you deal with people. Yes. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm having a moment. I told God one day, I said, ministry would be a lot easier if people were not involved. <laughs> And the Lord was like, well, then you wouldn't have ministry. Exactly. <laughs> but it's easy to forget your why when it comes to ministry. Because there's a constant rat race of comparison. There's a constant rat race of, of, of uh, seeing who's bigger and who's better and you, all of a sudden your why starts morphing so that now we didn't plant a church just to build family. Now we planted a church so, so that we can have more people and have a larger following and you forget your why and God will always bring a trial to question your why. When I first started Collide, not as a church but as a parachurch ministry, we did a bunch of conferences, we did a bunch of um, just events and different things or event-oriented ministry. About nine months into the ministry, God had exploded it. We went from a couple hundred to, I think by that time, I think John David told me, we we hosted an event at Pastor Andrew's Old Church. And um, I think there were about 3,000 people was the number. They were stuffed everywhere. I mean, it was crazy, y'all. There were so many people in the sanctuary that the ushers could not move to take the offering. So we had people all the way from the back pass their money forward until it got to the altar. And we said, keep your eye on it because not everybody's saved. So make sure your offering gets to the altar. And in that moment, I had forgotten my why, because now I'm standing in front of thousands of people who have come to my ministry, to my event, and it now becomes about me. Whenever your life is about you, you'll always be led into sin. You know how I know? Pride comes before the fall. That's what the scripture says. And I remember during that season, many of you don't know this part of my story but I got really depressed and sad. And it's so funny how you could be at the height of ministry, height of success or what the world would call success and still be going through the hell of life internally. Do I have at least one witness? So in the midst of this growing ministry, this ministry that God's blessing, people are getting transformed and changed. I fall weak and tired. And instead of consuming the bread of life, I went to www. Don't beat me to the punch. Shouldn'tBeHere.com started an online relationship that was inappropriate secretly and here's the thing about God his grace doesn't just cover I need some mature Christians to say amen right here his grace also exposes yes, it does. yeah I know I believe in the grace of God that covers and I thank him because there's some stuff you ain't gonna never know about me because he covered it <laughs> but the grace of God came and exposed it. And one of the people that I was trying to start an online relationship with was cousins to one of the staff members in my church, talked to my pastor and my pastor called me in and said, this was what happened. And I remember in that moment, I could either lie, tell the truth. If I lied, I know what the outcome is gonna be. I'll still be doing ministry, things will be all right. But if I tell the truth, I don't know what the outcome, and that's called vulnerability, when you can't control how it's gonna turn out. It's like, okay, so Lord, I'm just, okay, I don't like accountability but I'm gonna try it out. And I said yes, and for about a year, I wasn't allowed to do ministry. And I was tempted in that season, Lisa, to do what a lot of saints do and not really go to church too much. I go just enough to not get in trouble. Ooh, y'all mad today. And my heart started getting challenged and I said, I preach this message of being consistent and faithful no matter what, I've gotta be consistent. So I called all the conferences I was supposed to preach at and speak at, So I'm not gonna be preaching, here's why. I was in sin, fill in the blanks. Long story short, I remember going to the conferences and I was well known in our area. I would sit in the front row and people would be like, man, how come you're not preaching? I'd be like, oh God's doing a work. <laughs> Cause saints, we don't never like, like you know, when saints get fired, they don't like to say, "I got fired." It's like, oh, the Lord's got me in transition. <laughs> it's like, no, you, you kept stealing pencils. You got fired. <laughs> and I, and shame began to overwhelm me. Cause here I am, this pastor with this growing, thriving ministry, and all of a sudden I've been caught in sin, and I'm not allowed to minister. And I'm going to all these spaces where people expect me to be Pastor Dell, but right now I'm in recovery. And I remember I was in a service, a little church, little prayer meeting, little Korean church prayer meeting. And the spirit of the Lord came on me and says, why do you do this? Why do you do ministry? I said, Lord, it's all for you. No, shut up. That's how the Lord talks to me. He didn't gotta to talk to you like that. Don't, don't do that. It's like, if I get annoyed when I ask you how you're doing and you say, I'm good. Like I'll slap you in your face. Like, give me a real answer. Give me an honest answer. And I kind of felt that from the Lord. It's like, why, why do you do ministry? Why do you serve me? Well, to be honest, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> and I know you'd be sending people to hell. <laughs> so I just want to obey. The Lord said that why is not strong enough. I'm more than hell insurance. Mm. Yes. What's your why? I said, God, so I can bless the people. Well, what are you going to do when they don't get blessed? You going to quit? <laughs> Lord, come on. Just what's the answer? Take me to the back of the book. I believe, and I hope I can stick to this belief, but with strong conviction, I believe the purpose of life is to love and to be loved. One of the most beautiful titles that God gives this people is my beloved. He said, Dale, you have gotten so caught up in being a human doing that you forgot to be a human being. You, I want you to just be loved and to love. That why, that answer to that why has carried me. When I've gotten offended, Lord, it's to love and be loved. When it doesn't work out, it's to love and to be loved. That trial, that situation that I put myself in, begin to purify the why that was in my life. So Jesus looks at these group of people as he's teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, and he says to them that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Everybody gets up, walks away, and Jesus has the unmitigated gall to look at his disciples and be like, what's up? You gonna leave too? This is the uh, Oakland International version. It's a little more festive. <laughs> I, I need you to picture this. Now here's the thing I love about Jesus, and I'm trying to learn this. Jesus has no abandonment issues. <laughs> I'd be like, Lord, please don't let nobody leave. Don't, Lord, if we gotta turn up the air conditioner, whatever we need, and God has no abandonment issues. He never needed a therapist. Jesus looks at his boys after the followers that he just got in this chapter. It's in the earlier part of chapter 6 that it says all these people started following him. And I believe it was thousands of people because it was near a Passover and it was right after Jesus fed the thousands with the fish and bread. As a matter of fact, I believe the reason he did the miracle was for this setup right here because it happens right before here. So I think there are thousands of people that are following him. His Instagram page is going off the hook. I mean, his TikTok, Sarah's got nothing on on the TikTok of Jesus at the height of his ministry. I mean, it's going great. And then Jesus messes it all up by saying, let's make this a little harder because all of y'all are following and I need you to get ready for what's about to go down because some of you are gonna die for my sake. Some of you are gonna be tortured for my sake. Peter would be hung upside down on the cross for my sake. So I need you to understand something. I am your sustainer in this life. So if you wanna make it, if you wanna survive, eat me. Come. Come on, Jesus. You're doing it again. You always do this thing where we get a bunch of people and then you say something weird. And it just doesn't make sense. There were even times where Jesus would say something that didn't make sense, and then the Bible would say that Jesus took his disciples to the side and explained to him the mysteries. So Jesus was not afraid of you not getting it. He wasn't coming down to your level. He was bringing you up to his, and he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you cannot have heaven. You cannot have eternal life. Can I give you my translation of it? I am your sustainer. And if you plan on making it in this life, everything that you eat that is not me will never sustain you. Your wife might do it for you for a little bit, but she won't be able to sustain you. Your career might do it for you for a little bit, but it won't, your bank account number and how big it is, it might feel good for a minute, but it will not sustain. The only thing that will sustain is if you just consume me. Why would Jesus use the term bread? I mean, he could have used anything. He was with a woman at the well in John chapter four and he's speaking on the same thing and he tells her that I'm the living water, which by the way, I won't preach this, but I find it real interesting that Jesus is on the cross and he says, I thirst. And in John four, he says, I'm the living water. How can water be thirsty? But I'll preach that another Sunday. Uh, Jesus uses this analogy, I believe for a couple of reasons. Number one, because every Jewish person would have understood the necessity for bread. Bread was eaten every day. Not only that, he's comparing it to people that the the Israelites or the Jewish people would have respected. He's talking about a temporal bread, manna, and he's bringing it and saying, that was not enough. So God sent bread from heaven, heavenly bread, and I'm the bread. The Jewish mind would have said, we've got to consume you every day? And the answer is yes. (laughs) Maybe you haven't been making it, Maybe Maybe it's been hard because... You've been eating, but just like once a week. That's why worship is so hard for you, because you don't worship Monday through Saturday. So we get here on Sunday, and you have no clue what's happening. You are spiritually ignorant, because the only time you eat bread is on Sunday, and you only do it for about two hours. God forbid pastor preach a little longer, and it go two and a half hours, because you got to get home and do nothing really fast. I wonder how many of us consume Jesus on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a conference basis, on an event basis, instead of on a daily basis. This is why he says when he teaches them how to pray, Give me my daily bread. It's not enough for me to have Jesus every now and then. I've got to have him in the morning. I'm going to get happy right here. i got to have him in the noonday. Y'all don't know about this kind of salvation, but when I used to work in corporate, the spirit of God would hit me. If you play the wrong song at work, it could mess up your whole day because I'd have to run to the bathroom, cover my mouth with tears, filling my eyes, and saying, God, I love you. I call them Jesus kisses. It was like the presence of God would just come on me because it wasn't enough to have him on. Sunday at the altar I had to have him in my cubicle on Tuesday I want to walk with him I want to talk with him I want him to abide in me and me to abide in him this is more than just a routine and maybe you've grown weak I just want to pose a few questions because what you're going through you've forgotten to eat there's a story that I love to tell I, I love history I love documentaries and I love watching um, histories on the Holocaust because it's fascinating how people could be so evil. And um, they were interviewing this survivor and he, he talks about how there would be maybe 50 Jews and only like one or two Nazis. I'm going, sounds like an uneven fight. Why didn't you win? And he says, a lot of times they would have these guns that wouldn't even have bullets in it. And we knew it didn't have bullets. And so I'm sitting here, because I like to ask questions. I mean, that sounds like an easy beat up. I don't even need to call Lisa for that one. It's 50 for versus two. And he said this, and they put up a picture. They said the reason we couldn't fight, it was because they starved us till we were only skin and bones. So even if we had the desire to fight, we didn't have the strength to fight. Even young men grow weary, but those who have learned how to wait on the Lord, who have learned how to spend time in his presence, who have asked him to come and not rushed him out of his own house. For those who have been patiently waiting, there I'll renew their strength. See, you haven't been able to fight the battle, not not because the devil is greater, but my Bible says no weapon formed against me will be able to prosper. no No weapon has ever been able to be created to be victorious over God. So it's not that. Maybe it's that you don't have strength to pray strength to read the word, strength for Christian disciplines because you haven't been consuming. And here's the weird part about the kingdom. In the natural, you don't eat until you get hungry. Well. So what's supposed to happen, I remember I had a roommate when I was an intern and he came back and he go, man, I haven't eaten all day. I was like, it's nine o'clock, how come you haven't eaten? He goes, oh, I just wasn't hungry. We don't eat because we're hungry. (laughs) But here's the difference in the kingdom. You don't eat when you're hungry. You eat to get hungry. Please write this down if you're taking notes. You don't eat when you're hungry. You eat to get hungry. I'll give you an example. I was uh, doing, I I love to do all kinds of creative ministry. I've been able to minister to celebrities, to politicians, to different people. One of the greatest moments I ever had was ministering in this uh, mental health clinic. I thought I, I know a couple of people who belong here um, But I got there and I got ready to minister and they wanted me to Now this I'm gonna laugh, but it's not a funny situation, but feel free to laugh It'll make sense at the end But I, I remember thinking this is very uh This has to be God because they wanted me to come in and minister to the people who were struggling with anorexia And as you can tell I have beat anorexia <laughs> And I thought this is strange And here's what they told me They said well They're not hungry because they've lost their appetite because it's been so long that they haven't eaten. So when they say that they're not hungry, they're being honest, they have no appetite. He goes, here's what we need you to do. Convince them just to eat a little bit. Because if they eat a little bit, their hunger pains will start coming back and it'll encourage them to start eating again. And so that was my conversation with the different people. I mean, you know, I like to talk about food. (laughs) Carbs, you're not gonna eat carbs? Come here, slapping myself, right? And it was so funny. But I thought about, isn't this the same thing in the kingdom? That there are moments where you're gonna go through seasons and it's a little dry, it's a little hard, keep eating. Because the way that you maintain your hunger is that you keep eating. That's how kingdom works. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life and you have to eat me daily. I'm your daily bread, you've got to consume me. But what do you do when Jesus says or does something that just seems a, a little hard? Now, I know you guys can't be honest because the Jesus you serve is a care bearer and he never does anything mean. But if Deacon Job was here, Job would stand up here and testify. He would say, um, God actually allowed me to be tried. What do you do when it's not the devil? (laughs) I mean, it's easy to go in warfare tongues when the warfare is strong, but what do you do when you're reaping what you've sown? Or what do you do when you're reaping what God's sown? It was God who allowed Job to—I need you to get that. It was God. It may have been Satan's idea, but God approved the message. And in the boardroom of heaven, Satan had a conversation with the CEO of eternity, and the CEO of eternity said, I know one. It's like, I want to be picked by God, but— uh, come, come here, Lord. Um, I've been waiting for you to pick me. This is the wrong one though. And here's what God told Satan. You can do whatever you want. Just don't put your hands on them. Come here. And this is just for the five shouters in the room. Everything you've ever gone through has been pre-approved by God. Wow. Which ought to give you which ought to give you hope. Because if you, being what the Bible calls an evil parent won't do evil things to your kids, won't put them into situations that they couldn't overcome. How much more so the good God of heaven? Everything that you're in, the hard thing that you're in, what would happen if you would just step back for a moment and go, wait a minute, God, are you in this? Because I've been fighting this situation but I might need to surrender. Job loses everything. He loses all his money and he was a wealthy man. He loses his kids, he loses his wife. He even loses his friends. Job says stuff like, um, Lord, you you give and you take away, but blessed be your name. That's an easy song to sing. It's a heart of prayer to live. Does your heart really say, God, if you take everything away from me, I'll still bless you? Some of you won't bless me if it's raining outside. I mean, just catastrophize, the smallest situation. Somebody didn't speak to you on a Sunday and now you're all up in arms because they don't like me. it's, It's like they didn't see you, like chill out. It's like, what if everything that's happening is to grow you up and to mature you so that life isn't about you? Job said this interesting thing in Job chapter 15, the 16th verse. He said, God, though you slay me, Yet, will I praise you? The enemy's been defeated. Death couldn't hold you. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my... Wait a minute. Those songs about the warfare that I experience from the enemy. But it's not Satan who's slaying me in this season. Slayed. It's God who's slaying me. And I know you wanna blame it on the devil, but what if God gave the enemy permission to chisel your wife? Still, friends? (laughs) I'll finish with this, worship team join me, because I wanna lay hands on some people today. John the Baptist, everybody say John. That's weak, I know you got your mask on, but talk to me, say John. John the Baptist, he wasn't really Baptist, he was pretty Pentecostal. But John the Baptist is having a powerful ministry until Jesus shows up. Until Jesus shows up, John the Baptist is the man of the hour with the power. He's a celebrity Christian, what we would call him today. Guy walks around eating locusts and honey, dressed in wild clothes, and he's preaching about the kingdom to come and the Savior that's going to come. And then finally the Savior shows up. You remember the story. It's right in the commissioning of Jesus's ministry. Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, which is another reason you can get baptized, because if Jesus had to get baptized, you should follow the leader. It's easy. Jesus gets baptized, and the heavens open. Remember, he was born to a virgin woman, and everybody's wondering, who, who is it really, a virgin woman? And the heavens open, and God speaks up for Jesus and says, this is my son who I am well pleased with, which by the way, this isn't the point of my message, but he says that before Jesus does anything, because you've been pre-approved. You're not approved because of what you do or the power that you carry or the sermons that you preach. You're approved because you're his. That's so good. If I was sitting where you're sitting, I'd be jumping right now. That's a good word, but it was John the Baptist that when Jesus got ready to get baptized, John, you remember what he said? He goes, I'm not even worthy to tie your Air Force Ones. I'm not even worthy to tie your shoes and you want me to baptize you? Why am I saying this? Because John knows who Jesus is. John knows that he's the Messiah and the Savior that's been prophesied. John knew even since before he was born because his cousin, Jesus, John and Jesus, they were in the womb. Mary meets up with with, uh, his sister and they get together. I was trying to remember relationships and all that stuff. They get together and the Bible says while John was in the womb and Jesus was in the womb, they leaped. John knew who Jesus was. He's the one who said, I must decrease so that he can increase. So how is it that we get to this point at the end of John's life and he's stuck in jail and he sends a text message to Jesus and he says, are you the one or should we look for another? Wait a minute, John, you knew that he was the one. But the fact that things didn't work out for you the way you thought they would work out, you're offended. (laughs) Come here, we're going to be honest tonight. We're going to handle some business because there's some offense with Jesus in the room tonight. There are some of us who are offended that things didn't work out the way that we thought it should work out. So I'm not mad at John because I've been there when I've been faithful doing my part. I'm tithing. I'm, I'm sitting, I look cute. And I'm sitting up here single. They're ugly. They're on their third marriage. Come on, God. I'm trying to, okay, don't look at me. I'm, I'm a a work in process, right? It's like, God, I'm tithing. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm I'm blessing people. I'm serving. Why am I suffering? That's where John's at. So I'm not mad at him. I'm not mad at John for being a little upset with Jesus because here I am standing up for you, worshiping you with my whole heart, giving you everything I have, and I'm stuck in jail for standing up for righteousness and holiness. Jesus, are you... Are you... Are you really the one? Jesus, because he's a gangster, sends the text message right back through messenger and says, "Um, you go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Blessed are those who are not offended by the way I do things. Jesus had this amazing way of answering questions that you didn't ask. John the Baptist didn't ask him about offense. He just said, are you really the one? And Jesus knew that the only reason that you're saying that is because I put you in a hard situation. So now you're questioning I'm really the one because it didn't work out for you. Your dreams haven't been fulfilled because you were serving him so that your dreams could be fulfilled. What do you do when you're in the prison of pain and there's no parole? What do you do when you're stuck in a situation for doing the right thing? It's one thing to pay a price for messing up, but what do you do when you're hurting and you've done everything right? Can I give you a suggestion? The first step to your recovery is to learn how to be honest. Honesty is the price that we pay for change. Honesty is the price that we pay for healing. And some of you refuse to get your breakthrough because you refuse to be honest. So God's like, hey, how are we doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Just cussed your kids out on the way to church, beat your husband in the head, cussed your mom out, but I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. One of these days, you ought to scare somebody. The next time they ask you how you're doing, tell them. How you doing, man? Lost my job. My girl left me. I'm really lonely, kind of depressed, and I'm a, I'm a bit upset with God. Uh... See you next Sunday. (laughs) But the thing I appreciate about John the Baptist is that he may not have it all together and he may have forgotten who Jesus is in the midst of his hard situation, but this one thing he's gotten together, I gotta be honest with him. God, I'm mad at you because things didn't work out the way I wanted them to work out. I'm mad at you because you put me in a hard situation. That's why they left him in John chapter six, because he had said a hard thing. And it's easy to follow when he's multiplying the loaves and the fish. What about when he says or does a hard thing? So Jesus, are you really the one? And with much boldness, Jesus tells that messenger, you go tell John the Baptist this. That's how I imagine Jesus saying it with a little attitude. Maybe not the snapping, but you get it. You tell John the Baptist Everything that I'm supposed to do, I'm doing it. But blessed are those who are not offended by how I do it. Everybody walks away because they're offended. I'm crying because all of a sudden I started getting pictures in my head of people that I know who I used to serve with in Ministry we thought we were going for the long haul and then things didn't work out the way they thought it would and and they walked away offended and I'm scared for some of you who have not been consuming the Savior on a daily basis because life is gonna face you Something's gonna happen and it's gonna create an offense with your divine God But you have to decide now what your why is that I'm just doing it to love and to be loved. I just want to be his friend. So you tell John that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just not doing it the way that you thought. And Jesus says what he says to the disciples and to the people at the synagogue in Capernaum, he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. People walk away and offend it. And Jesus looks at Peter and the rest of the boys and say, are you going to leave too? And Peter speaks up. He says, God, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't graduate from Bible college. I don't know how to didactically, hermeneutically, Re-information what you just gave me. I I don't know how to do it. And what you said is hard a little confusing But I'm gonna stick with you Because I remember what it was like fishing. I didn't have life coming out of me when I was pulling nets out of the water Jesus, I don't get what you're telling me to do. I don't understand it. It feels a little weird But I'm gonna trust your character When I don't understand your ways. See, here's the deal about peace. You don't get peace until you finally surrender your need for it, for understanding. See, that's why we're not at peace. It's not that the trouble is that hard or it's that much. It's just we don't know what's going on. And God, a little information would make collaboration and appreciation. (laughs) All, just tell me where I'm going. And have you ever had God not tell you where, not tell you how? You know why? Because Hebrews 11 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if God answers the how, you will no longer need faith. You'll no longer need to depend on him. So you're going through what you're going through financially, marit- maritally, all the what you're going through because you forgot to lean on him. So everything that you've leaned on hadn't worked. All the breads that you've been eating have fallen short and they've left you to death. But Peter says, uh, I don't get what you're saying, but what you're saying makes me come alive. Would you look at me for a second? Would you raise your right hand? Do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Come on, answer the question. Keep your hand up. Let's tell some truth. Repeat after me, I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am a lender and not a borrower. I am the righteousness of God. I am holy. I am a child of God. My best days are ahead of me. God has not forsaken me. If God before me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me will ever prosper. Though a thousand fall at my side, God will still be with me. Listen, friend, that's the truth, and you start declaring it. That's the thing that's going to give you life. This whole sitting around complaining and murmuring about what you're going to go through, process a little bit, but learn how to vent to the Lord. Because you speak life to my soul. Stand with me. The Lord changed my message this afternoon and we'll pick up the Galatians series next month. But I've been praying for a lot of people this week in my own personal prayer time. Many of you are going through some of the toughest seasons of your life right now. I know we look like we all got it together but there are people in this church who are going through divorce, who are going through child custody battles there are people who have mental illnesses that are, they're believing healing for. There are people who have broken hearts in this space. But I wonder if we could take a few moments and just be honest with the Lord. Are you offended? Because like Try Try, he's, he's having you do a hard thing. You may not be going to the bathroom, but you might be dealing with some crap. With every eye closed, would you take a moment to deal with God? If you're not offended, you pray another prayer, but if you've got some stuff, maybe there's some fear, some worry, some concern, I worship team. But would you take a moment, and if there's a fence, maybe you might even need to pray, Lord, is there a fence in my heart towards you? Is there an area where I'm just a bit upset that things didn't work out the way that I thought it would? Some of you right now are going through hard situations. You're in that hard thing. And yet and still, God is asking you to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He's asking, Will you allow me to consume you as you consume me? Take take yourself out of your situation for a moment as you pray. Step outside of it. Look at the bigger picture. What is God doing? Because in reality, when Jesus looks at Peter and the disciples to say, are you going to leave what he's really asking them, in spite of what I've said to you, in spite of the season that you're in, are we still friends? And I want to take some time to minister to some people tonight because there's some of you who are saying, God, when is it going to end? And friend, I don't know when it's gonna end. I don't know when the healing is gonna come. I don't know when the breakthrough is gonna come, but I do know this one thing that he's a a water walker and he'll walk with you in the midst of the storm. He may not always cease the storm. Paul and Silas were in jail. God broke their chains and they still didn't leave jail. Your situation may not change, but friend, he wants you to know him. So tonight, if you're going through a hard situation and you just need some partnership and prayer, you need some breakthrough, I invite you now Step out of your seat at any moment, come down to this altar and we've got some people who are gonna meet and pray with you quickly, quickly. You don't have to think about it. That's it, Alicia, different ones. Kelly, I actually might need you for altar. Yeah. I'll wait for you. Maybe you're in a hard situation right now and you're not necessarily offended with God. You just need some breakthrough. It's just You're just tired. Life has gotten real hard in this season. And you know that God's doing something, but you just, you've grown weary in well-doing. I want our hearts to say that God, though you slay me, I will yet praise you. So here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna give you a, another minute because I feel like there's a couple more people who need to come. A couple more people who need to come. Jesus, thank you, Lord. I'm gonna pray a prayer. We've got about four or five more minutes. I'm gonna ask everybody to stay until the very end of service. But I'm about to pray a prayer. Chelsea, I want you to come to the altar. I want to pray for you. Matt's gonna lead us in worship. And over the next few moments, if you're at this altar, come close, Christina. Don't don't be on the side, you're good. As we worship, would you renew your friendship with the Lord? Go ahead, Matt. Lead us in worship as we pray. Leaders, can you help me pray? Lisa.